Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. And this episode is being brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. Make sure you go and check the website out. I've been promising to do something a blog post. I haven't done a blog post since November of last year, and hopefully I'm going to get something up there soon. Haven't really been inspired to write much, but um, like I said, I've been doing a lot of changing, a lot of changes. Uh, if you've been following me on Facebook or following me anywhere on social media, you know that a lot has changed with me, and I am really doing some different things and uh, I'm going to be putting a blog post on on what has changed and why I'm not doing certain things and uh, I'll share that with you uh, pretty soon but like I said haven't really gotten a chance to get my thoughts all the way together and as soon as I do I'll put that on the blog post and then you'll be able to go over to imthefatman.com and read that and at some point I'm going to end up actually um changing the site. So the site will be dedicated mostly to all of the podcasts that I've done over the previous years. And you'll be able to go and listen to those um, podcasts. And you'll also be able to share them on social media as well. But thanks for joining me tonight. We're waiting on Dr. De- Deborah Davis, who is the author of the book Disconnect. She's our guest tonight. We'll be talking about cell phones, cell phone radiation, how to mitigate the risk of cell phones, and I'm just waiting for her to uh, come into the switchboard. If you have not, um, please go back and listen to the show that kicked off April. The April show was with Dr. Terry Walls, and it was a Walls protocol. Really enjoyed that show. We talked about multiple sclerosis, how to um, how she dealt with her multiple sclerosis, and how she was able to go from being in a wheelchair to walking to I think what she did was she started walking and then she actually ended up running a race. So that's a pretty fantastic story when you're diagnosed with something like multiple sclerosis and then you are able to change the way that you eat and you're able to get out of a wheelchair and suddenly start walking. It's the the power of food. So, um, But she did some other things as well. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to that show. That show was um, last week, last Monday. And then we were supposed to have a show with uh, Dr. Shetreet Klein, the dirt cure, talking about children, talking about kids. But for some reason, um, she had an emergency, and we're trying to reschedule that show right now. So before I get to uh, bringing Dr. Deborah Davis on to talk about her book, Disconnect, let me read her bio. Deborah Davis' career has spanned all areas of academia, public policy, and scientific research. President Clinton appointed Dr. Davis to the Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board, an independent executive branch agency that investigates, prevents, and mitigates chemical accidents. 
As the former senior advisor to the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services, she has counseled leading officials in the United Nations, World Health Organization, and World Bank. She also served as a lead author of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The group awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007 with Al Gore. She is a recipient of a Women's Leadership Exchange Compass Award for breaking the paradigms of how women are perceived and the first Lisa Zhang Environmental Award from the United Nations in July 2008. She is the author of more than 190 scientific publications, the editor of 11 books, and has written two best-selling books. Deborah Davis, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? Thank you very much. I'm I'm doing well, thank you. Great. I can hear you really well. You have probably the best sounding telephone that I've ever had on the well, show. Well, the reason is it's a landline and it's mm-hmm. wired, and that makes it possible for the quality to be good and also for there to be no exposure to Wi-Fi. Great. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more in depth tonight. And I understand I only have you for 30 minutes, so um, I'm going to get right into it. You sure. had a lot of glamour things, um, I'm sure, working with President Clinton, working with people like Al Gore. But what piqued your interest into getting more into um, learning about cell phones? It was very simple. My first grandchild was born. This is about 11 years ago now. And he was, was a very bright little boy, of course. And he could, at nine months of age, crawl over, find a cell phone that was turned off and turn it on and find a game on it and play it. And I thought, wow, what a smart little boy. But, of course, I had some experience with the CDC being a member of the lead advisory committee that looked at standards for um, lead poisoning. And I was well aware that a child's brain doubles in the first, more than doubles in the first year of life. So I became very interested in what we knew about the brain of a child exposed to uh, cell phone radiation. And the more I looked, the more concerned I became. And that's when I decided to write the book, Disconnect, The Truth About Cell Phone Radiation. Because I realized that cell phones are two-way microwave radios, Uh and they've never been tested for safety, Uh ever. They were never required to be tested for safety, and that we have been assuming that these things are safe um, because that was the way they were presented and packaged by industry. But when you look at it independently, what we know is this. They can be safe depending on how they are used. For some people, it's impossible for them to use them. But for most of us, they can be used safely with a wired or hollow tube headset with a speakerphone, and actually, uh, may I ask what kind of phone you have? I have a Samsung Galaxy S4. It's an older model. Mm-hmm. And well, um, Samsung phones are, tend to be much lower in the reported amount of radiation they emit. Mm-hmm. But the Apple iPhone, if you go to within the iPhone, mm-hmm. you will find buried there information that says you must keep it at least five millimeters off the body. And the reason, and it's, by the way, 5 to 10 to 15, is that if a phone is kept in the pocket, it exceeds the as-tested exposure guidelines. That's the reality. That's why Consumer Reports in November of this past year issued an advice that nobody keep a phone in their pocket. Because when phones are on and connected to the Internet in the pocket, they exceed the as-tested exposure guidelines. There's no debate about that. 
Yeah. Have there been any long-term studies, Dr. Davis, on cell phones? I know you just said that they were put on the market. No one did any studies, but I'm wondering have now, I think you wrote the book when, in 2011? 10. 2010. 2010. Okay. And we've reissued it. There's a nice version of it with a lovely, um, handsome, young Hispanic boy on the cover, and mm-hmm. uh, it can be purchased on Amazon um, on demand. It's out of print in the original ed- edition because it, it frankly did not do well. And I think that now with the resurgence of interest by people like you and others, um, mm-hmm. there's more of an interest in understanding what we really do know about cell phone radiation. And and we're not telling people they can't use phones. We want them to understand how to be safer. And there are simple things to do. Mm-hmm. Um Again, have they done any long-term studies now, being that yes. everything has been reissued? Sorry, let me get to that. Um, there have okay. been very few studies, and the one that was released in uh, 2000, um, I guess just released preliminarily in 2010, and then uh, was the Interphone study, which was done of brain cancer, comparing people with brain cancer to those who did not have the disease, and interviewing them when they were just diagnosed to determine how they had used cell phones. Well, there's a lot of flaws with that technique, but the bottom line is that despite those flaws, that study did find that people who used cell phones the most had the highest risk of brain cancers compared to those who did not, and that those who used a cell phone regularly for 10 years or more had between 50% to a fourfold increased risk of brain cancer. Now, that's a big deal uh, because brain cancer is not a cancer we can do a whole lot of a whole lot about. And that study was published, uh, organized by the World Health Organization. You would think that afterwards there would be lots of studies launched, but in fact there are almost no studies underway right now asking the kind of question that you're asking about the long-term impacts. That is to say there are no studies going forward that are looking backward. Instead, we are now, we have a study that's going to be 10 years in the making to answer that question, but we've already had enough experience to to come up with answers if only we bothered to look. And we're not looking. And in the meantime, the governments of Israel and India and Belgium and France have issued guidance. And in fact, it's against the law in Belgium to give a cell phone or design a phone for a child age seven or younger. It's against the law. Yeah, I want to talk about those a little bit later about the kids, especially with the amount of kids that I see now that are playing on the phones. And some kids are even getting phones at a very early age and um, also Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi wasn't even heard of 15, 20 years ago when I was growing up. And now it's all over the place. But um, one of the things that I saw in reading the book was that cell phone technology, the history of the cell phone, it seemed as though it was based on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the technology was based on what I would consider like sonar, like with the submarine ships. Well, it's a form of radar. Radar. Okay. Sonar is sound. Radar is, in fact, what it is. It's a form of radar. And and I tell the story in the book, Disconnect, about how the first um, microwave ovens were called radar ranges because Mm -hmm. basically you're cooking with radar. And guys who invented it thought it was pretty cool to cook with radar. And thought, you know, put a hot dog in this oven and it cooks something. They gave it the name Radar Range as well. The women who were doing most of the cooking back then didn't think it was that 
much fun to be cooking with radar, so it got remarketed as the microwave oven, which sounded more dainty and feminine. And basically, the cell phone is using microwave radiation. So yes, it all did come from these different applications, and we, you know, we want the military to be using these things to keep us safe and defend us. And there are even microwave-based weapons at this at this point. But the fact is that the technology did come out of military applications. It has been around for a long time, but the first phones were were developed for commercial sales in the 1990s, and they cost thousands of dollars, and they were used for a few minutes a month. So when we talk about what's going on now, it's a totally different world. Mm -hmm. People are using devices for thousands of minutes a month, and the kinds of people that are using them and the kinds of uses, there are thousands of apps for infants and toddlers. You can get a plastic teething rattle case for the iPhone. Are you kidding you can me? Get, <laughs> nope. You can get an iPotty, which has the iPad built in <clears throat> that you can uh-huh. wipe it off, to the potty so that you can toilet train your toddler with an iPad, with apps that work on toilet training. And this this type of radiation, let me make a, a distinction here. We're talking about phones, but the iPad emits radiation as well? Anytime you're connected to the Internet, uh-huh. you're going from the Wi-Fi antennas on mm-hmm. your device, <clears throat> whether it's an iPad or a phone, to the tower <clears throat> and back again. And these things are smart. Pardon me. <clears throat> so they're programmed to ask for a signal. 900 times a minute. Where are you? Here I am. Where are you? Here I am. And if you go to the information about how to use these things, it tells you not to have it on the body. Um, Tablets are called tablets today, not laptops. They belong on tables. There is a website, showthefineprint.org, which provides you information on safe distances that these devices should be used. And they all say things like, avoid placing the antenna directly next to the body. Nobody knows where the antenna is. These things, it's not like the old days when you actually had a physically protruding antenna. And so what we're dealing with here is that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lack of information, and there's an assumption that everything must be fine. And indeed, there's tremendous value that comes out of some applications some of the time. But there is no one who's ever demonstrated that these electronic devices actually help children learn more or better or that they retain information. In fact, studies that have been done even of adults find that people retain information more by taking handwritten notes than trying to take notes into a a, um, tablet. And tablets belong on tables. They should not be on your lap for an adult or a child. And yet you see these ads featuring young children using these things in ways that are not safe and have never been evaluated for safety. Getting into kids, and I want to morph kind of this into kids, but before, um, my background is in pharma, and a lot of times I'll do research, and I notice that a lot of medications tend to cross over what what is called the blood-brain barrier. 
Correct. Is this this radiation crossing over into the blood-brain barrier? And the second part of that question is what are the implications for children just simply because I'm understanding that the brain isn't fully developed until the age of 20. So you have these children who are using these cell phones, using these iPads, and they're seven, eight, some of them maybe three, four years old. What are the long-term implications for for these kids who are using these devices? But I guess you can take the first part of that question is, is this radiation crossing over the blood-brain barrier? All right, let's start with that. And let me say the Mm -hmm. radiation itself does not cross, but what Mm -hmm. does happen is it produces free radicals, which, as you know, can be damaging. And there is evidence that the radiation weakens the blood-brain barrier. And let's talk about what the blood-brain barrier is supposed to do. It's supposed to protect the brain from being exposed to things that might be in the blood that could be harmful to it. Now, interestingly, a recently approved FDA application for chemotherapy involves using a form of this radiation to weaken the membrane of the brain so that you can get more chemotherapy into the brain. So there's, that is clearly evidence that you're getting that effect. That is to say the radiation exposure opens up the membrane and allows chemotherapy to get into the brain better. So that clearly is not a good idea if you think about the fact that the blood-brain barrier exists to protect the brain and we want to protect it from things that might get into our bloodstream that shouldn't normally get into the brain. Now, the second part of your question um, has to do with... um, what we know now about the brain as it develops. Now, in fact, the brain doesn't just stop developing at age 20. It won't be surprising for anyone who has had teenagers to know. The brain isn't fully protected by myelin, which is a fatty protective sheath that goes mm-hmm. develops around neurons, really until the mid to late 20s and later in males than females. So it's thought to have maybe play some role in the increased risk-taking behavior of young men and the foolish things that adolescent and older teenage boys will do. Um, We don't know that for a fact, but some people have speculated about that. And um, what we do know is that myelination, the development of this protective sheath, continues on into middle age and that we have reason to think from experiments that have been done that this microwave frequency radiation from cell phones actually can damage myelin. And, of course, damage to myelin characterizes multiple sclerosis, and you don't want to have damage to myelin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you that um, as far as neuro- neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. It seems like we have an onset of that now. And I was wondering, with you saying something about multiple sclerosis just now, is that or could that be a catalyst for diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's for people who are using these cell phones on a on a daily you know, basis? That's an excellent question, and the answer is I don't know. And I think mm-hmm. that we need to – those are good questions. I know that the um, director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse – uh, Nora Volkoff, has published some interesting research showing effects on certain parts of the brain. And <clears throat> what I'm disappointed to see is that we do not have that as much research underway now. I'm about to publish an editorial in a um, journal 
where we call for all governments to create a one cent fee on every device and every manufacturer and every provider, one cent a month. And this would create what is needed over a period of five to eight years to fund independent research in this area because we do not have that kind of research now at all. And it's appalling to me, although not completely surprising, that we're not asking these questions more, that we're not looking at why we're seeing more and more cases of early onset of Parkinson's and other neurodegenerative diseases, including ALS. But these are the right questions that we have to ask. Yeah, I would I would think so. It's just when I was reading a book, it just made a lot of sense of using these cell phones. And I'm not saying that cell phones are the only cause, but I'm thinking Absolutely that. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm thinking that they're a catalyst because we, they've just been around for, what, the last 20 years. Speaking and the of, way we use them now, let me, let me say I'm going to have to leave yeah. shortly, but the way we use them now is so totally different. And the people that are using them and the way that they're getting used is 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 really of great concern to me and other people in public health. Let me just say that our website, ehtrust.org, that's E as in elephant, H as in Harry, T as in Tom, ehtrust.org, has a lot of information for parents and teachers, people who want to learn. There's free downloadable materials that they can look at. And one of the things I want to bring to your attention is that a number of countries have already taken steps and implemented policies to educate their citizens. Uh, last year, I, I testified before the Canadian Parliament, and they issued a, a report of their Standing Committee on Health uh, recommending a national program of education. It is what we need to do. It's the kinds of things that you're doing with your radio program, and perhaps I can come back and talk to you in another time to see more and more educational materials made available. That's the kind of thing that you know we, we have to get out there so parents will understand you do not have to give your child a cell phone just because everybody else does, that there are ways, though, that you can give them something like that and have it used safely, providing that you educate them and yourself about what is, what is safe use. And we need to understand why other governments have taken steps to reduce exposures. Um, and these are governments of high-tech countries like Israel, which has a website full devoted to, to this issue, and countries like India, which is very high-tech despite all its other problems, that have given warnings as well about safe use of these devices. Yeah. Can I have you for one more question? I know you have to go. Um, last question is, what can we do to mitigate your risk? People are always looking for solutions. You mentioned using hollow tubing to talk on your cell phone, which I would think is an <clears throat> earpiece. Um, yes. What can we? What else can we do to maybe Wi-Fi? Um, I thought about unplugging my Wi-Fi at night simply because I'm not using it. Um, is well, that, that's the reason. To, uh, I mean, that's going to save you a little money for electricity right there. Um, right. These things can be. You know, we we need to. There are some design changes of hardware and software that could be very easily implemented, and one of them would be energy saving as well. It makes uh -huh. no sense. Most people do not need their Wi-Fi on in the middle of the night. And it's, take, it's, it's, it's using energy. And while it's a trivial amount of energy for any one household, of course, but you take this over 10 million people in a city, and it's not trivial. And, you, you know, all of these are steps that would be useful for energy conservation alone. Now, distance is your friend. Keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. If you have a phone or a router and it is several inches away from you, your exposure is, is fairly trivial. But there are some people who are very sensitive. 
and for them that's not sufficient and unfortunately some people may not even realize this because the symptoms are so vague things like headache or numbness or tingling or um etc but there's growing recognition that there are some people who are super sensitive to it but for most people distance is their friend <clears throat> be aware <clears throat> not to use a device when the signal is weak because the phone will drain out because it's it's programmed to get that signal. And when the signal is weak, it's going to use the battery. And if you have the phone in your pocket or next to you, the battery is draining right into you because the antenna on the phone is symmetrical. So half of if you hold it next to you, half of it gets into you and half of it goes out. Um, be, be also be aware that things should not be kept close to the body as Consumer Reports advised in their November issue and that we need to do a better job of educating people about, about safer use. Samsung phones, uh, many of them appear to have 10 times less radiation than Apple phones. Hmm. I don't know why, but I think it's a good question that we ought to be able to ask these companies, why can't you all reduce your radiation? Yeah, and I was about to switch to an Apple phone, so I don't know. I might have to rethink that decision now. But um, I know um, I only had 30 minutes with there's you. There's no reason so not to switch. There's no reason not to switch so long as you use it in a, in a simple way. Right. To, uh, right? It's yeah. just, but the, the real question is why is it possible for the Samsung phones to emit so much, so much less radiation? Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, thank yep. you for coming on. I know I only had 30 minutes with you, and I want to honor that. And uh, can you give us your site again if they're out there listening sure. and someone wants Our to site, know more about this? I'd be happy to do it. Environmental Health Trust. The website is ehtrust.org. E and uh, we also have a Facebook page. And we also have a, a Twitter feed, which I can't tell you the address of. So, we're, uh, And there's lots of good stuff on YouTube, including lectures and short things that explain. If you go to our website, ehtrust.org, you'll find free downloads there of things that can be copied and given away. And we're always looking for people who want to volunteer to help us have more of a social media impact uh, without necessarily... Um, promoting um, use by, by kids and things like that. I understand that these devices are very valuable. There's no question about it. But we really need to rethink the way they've been used so freely, especially with infants and toddlers now. Infants need lap time. They don't need app time. They need to be held and talked to. And there's growing evidence, and Dr. Sheetreet Klein will be able to talk to you about some of this as well. Eye contact and holding and touching and direct experience with the environment is very important to the development of healthy children. Great. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for, for coming on. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get you back on in the future, and I really I thank you for, to it. for taking your time and for th giving me at least 30 minutes. I really appreciate it. Well, you're doing a good job. Thank you. It's through people like you that people are going to understand that we have to take some simple steps to make yourself safer. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Have, have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Short but sweet, and um, you get the point there. And like she said, if you want to go to the site, um, I have the site listed on the show notes, so you can go directly to the site. But I think it's ehtrust.org. 
org, and there's some good articles on there. I went on there to do some research before the show, and they had some great articles on there, really talking about kids and Wi-Fi and all of that, and all of the other stuff. And keep in mind, we haven't had this stuff. I think cell phones came early 90s. Um, Wi-Fi came maybe shortly after that. So a lot of this stuff, if you were my age, wasn't really around when we were growing up. And now it just seems like it's the status with the children that are growing up now and could be causing some some issues that we, we really don't know about because there's not been any long-term research Dr. Davis's book, Dr. Deborah Davis's book is called Disconnect, The Truth About Cell Phone Radiation, and you can grab a copy of that on Amazon. You might want to look at your local library as well. I've been able to find a lot of books at the library that I didn't think were actually there. So great show tonight. Thank you for listening. Next week, I think, um, well, not next week, Wednesday, I was scheduled to have Jonathan Baylor on, um, talk about his book, The Calories Myth. I think we're going to upload that show. So I'm going to pre-record that show and then upload it, and it should be ready. I haven't gotten him to confirm yet, so I'm not sure, but we had confirmed a month ago for, uh, for the show. So again, I haven't been able to contact him as of late. So hopefully we'll get that show up uh, for you. As always, I'll see you Wednesday, hopefully. Same fat time, same fat channel. Thank you for listening. Peace and love. Good night.